Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you are enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to follow us using your favorite podcast software to make sure you never miss an episode. Our listener support campaign continues. You can become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month just by going over to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Now it is time for yours truly, Johnny Dollar. The original air dates, November 2nd, 3rd, and 4th, 1955, and it's the Valentine Matter episodes 3 through 5. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. This is Ann Ward. Mrs. Valentine. Have you heard anything about Dan? Nothing, Mrs. Valentine. The police are looking everywhere for him. I went to the hospital tonight and they told me he walked out. He might die, Mr. Dollar. I know, Mrs. Valentine. Did you tell anyone I was here in New Orleans? If you mean did I mention it to the police, no. Thank you, Mr. Dollar. That was very kind of you. But it makes me mad that I didn't, Mrs. Valentine... I know you don't want anybody to find you're related to him because of your daughter. But I also think you could help the police in this situation. You could help them find Dan and put him back in a hospital. Mr. Dollar, would you come over and talk to me, please? Please. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the New Britain Mutual Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut... The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Valentine matter. Some more expense. I believe this is item five. Yeah, four bucks. Four drinks for myself. When a next big shot of the Roaring Twenties like Dan Valentine carries a $50,000 life insurance policy and walks down the street one day and gets himself shot and refuses to disclose who fired the bullets, I have to do the worrying for the insurance company. When he decides to leave a hospital bed minus a pint or two of blood, I have to worry some more. I needed those drinks. You can just say I liked what I'd seen of the guy, and I didn't want him to walk around New Orleans bleeding to death. In here, please, Mr. Dollar. The wife, who hadn't seen or heard from him for 13 years, looked pale and wan. It was obvious that the strain was beginning to tell on her, although she tried hard not to show it. Doesn't it ever cool off in New Orleans? Sometimes. But I'm not here to talk about the weather, Mrs. Valentine. You know that. Yes, I know. Well, don't just stand there and give me the tears, then. If you've got anything to say, say it. If you know anything that'll help, let me know about it. You're perfectly right in being angry with me. Mr. Dollar, I honestly don't know where Dan is. Well, do you know why he'd get up out of a hospital bed and endanger his life? I have an idea he might have wanted to see somebody. Who? I don't know. The two men who shot at him? Perhaps I just don't know. We aren't getting anywhere, Mrs. Valentine. Look, I'm going to talk to you frankly. 
Why did he come here to live in New Orleans? Well, I... You live in New England with your daughter, Teresa. Obviously, Dan thinks a great deal of you and her. He's given you everything, provided for you, with all of his troubles. Spent 13 years in prison. I can imagine his thoughts about you and her while he was in there. And yet he comes out and lives 2,000 miles away from you. He didn't want to interfere with Teresa in any way. Sure. But it seems to me he'd want to look at you, at her, certainly. Even if it was a matter of living in Boston and taking a bus to New Salem and standing on a street corner one day to watch the two of you cross the street. That sound reasonable to you? If you put it that way. Well, look, there's some reason he picked New Orleans. Some reason he didn't give himself the little gratification of just looking at you and Teresa. Why? Why here? I'm sure I don't know. And why is he running around now? I can't answer that either. But it must have something to do with you and your daughter. Obviously, you're the only ones he ever cared about. Well? I honestly don't know. Well, and I, I can't help you, and I can't help myself or him. He, you mentioned his having a reason to be in New Orleans. Maybe... What? There was a man named Webster, Conrad Webster. He was a member of the Illinois Bar once, in those days. He did a great deal of work for Dan and friends of Dan. I think he lived here. Wait a minute, I've seen that name... Yeah, on copies of the insurance policy. A man named Webster had the power of attorney. He yes. bought the insurance. There's a trust in there for your daughter. Yes, Conrad Webster was an old friend of Dan's. I don't even know whether he's alive now or not. Drank a great deal later on. I think he lived here. Was he the kind of friend Dan would go to if he needed help? Yes, I think so. All right. What are you going to do? It's just something to look into. I'll try and find Webster and maybe I can find your husband. Thank you for coming by. I needed somebody to talk to. What? I hope he stays alive, Mrs. Valentine. Item seven, sixteen dollars The money it cost me to find out the location of Conrad Webster. I started at his last known address, followed a series of bars, and finally got information from a bartender that led me to the crummier half of a decaying duplex on Gentilly Street. Everything was quiet for Gentilly Street. Huh. Young man, the drugstore delivers what I need most. The telegraph office what I dread most. Obviously, you represent neither, and therefore you are no concern of mine. Wait a minute. Are you Mr. Webster? Conrad Webster? I am he, and I am drunk and disheveled, and it is three o'clock in the morning. I'd like to talk with you. May I come in? You may not. This isn't exactly the hour for making calls, but I did stop by and pick up something to take the edge off. Ted. Huh? It's bonded. Oh, inside, inside. Now then, you uh, were going to apologize. Here you are, Mr. Webster. Oh, well. Now then, as long as this lasts, you will last. All right. I'm looking for a man. <laughs> the entire world is looking for a man. Just one man. A man they blindly presume will break off these shackles that bind us and lead us forth into eternal justice. Yeah, yeah, sure, but that's not... An I'm... ironic anticipation. I'm talking about Dan Valentine. You are? Yes, I'm a friend of his. No. No, you don't come from that place. The pallet is not with you. 
You lie. I didn't say I was in jail with him. And where else would he have made friends these long years? He's out of prison now. He's been out for three months. And I'm aware of that. Did you know he was shot at yesterday? Three hours ago, he left his hospital bed. I thought he might have come to you. Is he here? He is not. Do you know where he is? I do not. Mr. Webster, if Valentine isn't back in the hospital pretty soon, he'll die. (laughs) Why is the phenomenon of death so persistently alarming? So he will die. They all die. Usually from a bullet. And that's what's going to happen to him. Two bullets he stopped yesterday. Do you understand me? Acutely, acutely. You've impressed me with the urgency of his situation. But Dan Valentine is not here, nor has he been here, nor has he contacted me, nor do I know where to contact him. All right, Mr. Webster, all right. I guess I believe him. Your your concern for him is a distressing irritation. What is the reason for it? I'm an insurance investigator, and it's my job to keep him alive. More than that, I like him. I told you I was his friend. I think he deserves to live. You, his friend? No. You are too young to be his friend. His friends, for the most part, are gone. Like the long years. Like Hamburg hats and the Charleston and Lime Ricky. The ones who are left are broken and tired and faded. With old faces, faces... Like mine, like his. And we should be gone too. Another age is here. (laughs) This is my sadness. As for yours, Dan Valentine should never have lived in that age or this age. He was meant to be an explorer, a pioneer who conquered a wilderness, not a racketeer who conquered a west side. Are you sure you're his friend, Mr. Webster? I once thought so. <laughs> he once thought so. Now, I haven't strength enough to be anyone's friend. What's your name? Johnny Dollar. Good night, Mr. Dollar. The look in Conrad Webster's eyes held the same sort of sadness I had seen in Valentine's eyes. But they were different, too. They held a weakness. The strong, sad eyes were somewhere else in the city, walking alone, probably looking for two gunmen, and the lifeblood was slowly draining from the body that sparked them. I went back to my hotel and tried to sleep, but sleep wouldn't come. I was still rolling and tossing at 7.30 the next morning when orange juice coffee in the morning paper came up. A nationwide syndicate had picked up the new development in the Valentine shooting and gone to work on it. Among other names they mentioned in giving a resume of Valentine's career were his wife and daughter, living in New Salem under the name of Ward. Hello? This is Johnny Dollar. I just read the morning paper, Mrs. Valentine. Oh, yes. I'm sorry it broke for you this way. That's very kind of you to say so. Maybe it's for the better, anyhow. For years I've been wanting to tell Teresa who her father is, what he's like. I'm going to call her later today, tell her where I am, explain why I'm here. I think she can take it. You're doing pretty well yourself. Thanks again. Any word yet? No. No, we still can't find him. Mr. Webster, did you find him? Yes, he wasn't much help. The New England paper said that Mrs. Ward was out of town. Sooner or later they'll find out what town Mrs. Ward is in, I'm afraid. Well, maybe you'd better get another hotel, use another name. Yes. 
All right, I'll wait to hear from you. Mr. Dollar. Yes? Thank you. I put in another call to Inspector DeBaca and asked him about developments. Valentine was still unlocated. They were covering drugstores and doctor's offices where he might seek assistance. The two unidentified men who had shot him were still unidentified. The police weren't able to dig up any more witnesses or get any line on the car. By four in the afternoon, Mrs. Valentine had still not called me to report a new address. I got worried and went over to the Roosevelt to see what was what. I was surprised to see Inspector DeBaca in the lobby talking to the bell captain. All right, son. If you remember anything else, call me here. Yes, sir. I sure will. Hi. Hi, Dollar. Well, you want to talk first or you want me to? All right, I'll talk first. Mrs. Valentine's been staying here under the name of Ann Ward. You knew that. Yeah. Why didn't you say anything to me? She asked me not to. Doesn't make any difference now, anyhow. That boy over there called us a little while ago. He said that Dan Valentine came in here this afternoon, went upstairs, came back down 15 minutes later with Mrs. Valentine. They both left together. Yeah, he must have seen the story in this morning's paper and guessed she was in town. That's the way I see it. Well, we're right back where we started from, and I'm about sick of it. We're a little better off. Two people are easier to find than one. We found them, all right, at 7 o'clock that night, and it was easy. Three squad cars were already drawn up in front of the little hotel, and I noticed with a sinking heart that a hearse was there also. Dan Valentine and his wife were dead. Johnny Dollar. What is all this, Johnny? Who's this? Roy Vickers, New Britain Mutual. What happened to Valentine? He was gunned down last night, going into a hotel with his wife. No. The police here are turning the city upside down, trying to get a line on two unidentified gunmen. Well, couldn't you keep him alive? I couldn't even find him. Well, uh, well, this is no time to be yelling at each other. I just left his daughter. Huh? She filed claim already? Through that lawyer Webster? No, no. She didn't even know anything about him until the papers broke the story. Well, I... I'm sorry I got annoyed for a second. Do what you can, Johnny. He'll want a full report. Sure, Roy, sure. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the New Britain Mutual Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is a further accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Valentine matter. Item nine, $7 for dinner. I had it with Inspector Charles DeBaca, New Orleans Police. He was a haggard, tired-looking man about that time. All of us were. You want some more coffee? No, no thanks. Two men, both about six feet, wearing dark suits and hats, medium to slight builds, one possibly 35, the other possibly 40. Well, that about ties up with a description of the two men who plugged Valentine earlier and earned him a place in the hospital. Yeah, we got more of a chance this time, though. Be some other witnesses. Somebody has to tell us what kind of a car they had and what direction they went. One thing, they weren't using silencers anymore. No, but they did a professional job. I think Valentine knew him, climbed out of that hospital bed to go out looking for him. Sounds reasonable. How do you figure the rest of it, Inspector? Well, Valentine saw the newspaper story and knew his wife was in town. He went over, got her, and I take it they were going to check into a new hotel when their friend showed up. She just happened to get in the way, huh? Sure. Why'd anybody want to shoot her? Why would anybody want to shoot him? 
Well, because no matter what he was now or how he was playing it, he still lived pretty hard way back then. A man who has lived the kind of life he has and done the things he has is bound to make a few enemies to remember. Now, I think it has something to do with his family. I agree with you that Valentine probably made enemies all over. But he wasn't the kind of man to get excited about any of those kind of people. He pretty well knew how to take care of himself and handle trouble. That's why he was out looking for them. You sound pretty certain. It seems to me that if Valentine had been expecting trouble from some of the old-timers, he'd have carried a gun. You got a point. But then again, he was pretty gentled up. You know how he spent most of his time? Painting. Huh? And that house he bought out in Jefferson Parish is covered with pictures he's done since he's been out. Oils. Pretty good, too. When he wasn't painting it, he was listening to music. Huh. You'd hardly think of Danny Valentine taking up the arts. Hardly ever. Well... Gotta make a call and get busy. Yeah. Inspector. Yeah? Any objection to me going out and looking around that house? It's your privilege. Personally, I'm gonna look around town for a couple of gunmen. Anyone out there now? His cook. Name's Yachino. Nice woman. Okay, I'll keep in touch with you, Inspector. Do that. Uh, Dollar. Now what? You forgot to tell me you looked up the old family lawyer, Conrad Webster, the other night. Oh, I was trying to find Valentine, the same as you. Well, if you happen to run into Webster again, you tell him to drop in and see me. Huh? He's missing. I didn't know what to say to that, so I left him standing there and went back to my hotel and shaved, changed clothes, and tried to go over the whole thing in my mind. I did phone into the police station and find out that the slugs that had killed Valentine and his wife were from an Italian-make pistol, a rum barrel. 37.5 caliber. So far, untraced. Expense account item 10, cost of cab, from my hotel to Danny Valentine's house in Jefferson Parish. Yes, sir. How do you do? Are you Mrs. Iaccino? Yes, sir. Who are you, please? My name is Johnny Dollar, Mrs. Iaccino. I'm from New Britain Mutual Insurance Company. I'd like to talk to you, if I may. About uh, Mr. Valentine? Yes. Not right now, Mr. Dollar. Some other time, huh? Well, if you prefer it that way, Mrs. Iaccino, but... It's uh... a... Been a hard day here. I, I mean, Mr. Valentine's death and his wife been killed with him. All of these policemen in and out of here and now. Miss Ward and all. Miss Ward? His daughter? Yes, she's here. Arrived two hours ago. She's stay here. Could I see her? You come tomorrow, Mr. Dollar, please. And tomorrow. Mrs. Yachino. Uh, yes, Miss Ward. Who is it? Uh, uh, Mr. Dollar. He's from the insurance company. The insurance company? Yes. I'd like to talk to him, Mrs. Yachino. Teresa Ward stood at the base of the iron grill stairway, tall and dark-eyed. And I saw that, like her mother, she had a quiet intensity about her face that made it beautiful. At the same time, ageless. She smiled politely at me. I could only stand there without speaking for a long moment, looking at her. Then Mrs. Iaccino excused herself, and we were alone. I wanted to talk to someone who might be able to give me a little more information about all this. It's all quite new to me. I'll tell you what I can, Miss Ward. My name is Valentine, isn't it? Really, Valentine? Yes, it is. Well, suppose we correct that mistake right now. Sure. There's nothing wrong with Valentine. From what a Mr. Vickers from the insurance office in Hartford told me, I'm to be quite well off because of this man that was murdered. You mean Dan Valentine? Yes, Dan Valentine. They tell me he was my father. Who told you? Oh, reporters at home and your insurance company. Mother told me my name was Ward. Poor thing. 
Must have been difficult for her over the years, keeping the secret from me. Yes, she told me she thought it was the best thing. She, uh, well, the same as he did. Tell me about my father. Was he a bad man? Oh, as good or as bad as the Volstead Act made people. I only met him a couple of times. To awaken one morning and discover that you're the only daughter of a famous racketeer who's been murdered. Look, Miss Ward, if he had anything to do with the way you turned out, uh, with what you seem to possess within yourself, I'd say offhand that whatever he was or did, he thought of you. Are you flattering me? I'm not trying to. You seem like a very nice person. And so do you, Mr. Dollar. Will you tell me all about this, please? Well, let's see. Uh, you're 21, isn't that right? Yes. Just about 15 years ago or so, your father was on trial for income tax evasion. Just before he was convicted, he set up a trust fund with my insurance company to provide for you. It's been paying money for your support and education ever since. According to the terms of the trust, all of the money becomes yours now that your mother and father are dead. It comes to well over $50,000. That's all there is to it? Mm Mm-hmm. I suppose I'm grateful to him. I suppose I should be grateful. I can't say that I'm particularly sorry about his death any more than I would be if any other human being died violently somewhere. But about Mother's death, I I miss her very much already, Mr. (laughs) Dunn. She was holding up pretty well until that point. Then she let go. I held her in my arms and I talked to her. I told her what I knew of her father's life and death. She told me how she'd been reared so far removed from anything that might have connected her in the least way with the Valentine name. Altogether, it was a revealing conversation for both of us. Mrs. Iacchino brought us some food and wine. How long will you be in New Orleans? Until all of this is straightened out. You mean until they find out who killed my mother and father? Yes. How about you? Oh, I really don't know. After the funerals, I suppose I'll go back. But I wanted to see him, to see what he looked like, what kind of life he led. He was just an ordinary man, wasn't he? You seen these pictures before? No, this is my first time in the house. Looked like Italian landscapes to me. Very good. Mm-hmm. Must have been something he had with Mother. Hmm? She was from Italy. May I ask you something? Yes. How do you feel about him now? Is this for your report? For myself. Well, since you've been here, these last two hours, I, I've begun to think of him for what he was. My father, I mean. I'd like to know why he was killed and who did it. Will I see you again? I hope so. Terry. Yes? I hope so very much. So do I, Johnny. I left her at the door that night with a warm sensation inside of me. Something I certainly hadn't expected in the business at hand. The next morning, I was back at the house talking to Mrs. Iacchino. She gave me all the information she could remember about Valentine's activities. All of it accurate, but lacking in any possible clue as to the identity of the two men who had killed him and his wife. I had breakfast with Terry there and helped her with funeral arrangements. 
Then I spent a solid 12 hours with Inspector DeBaca, who had still not located or identified the two mysterious men. However, there were other developments. This may be something, Johnny. Oh? Conrad Webster's been found. Huh? Up by Lake Punch train. Just identified him. He was shot to death with a 37.5. Italian gun? Yeah. Just like the one that killed Dan Valentine and his wife. It later developed that the slugs taken from Webster's body, when compared with those that had killed the Valentines, were fired from the same weapon. The case took on proportions. Every available bit of information regarding the two ex-big shots of the 20s was located, read, and reread. It meant activity in cities like St. Louis, Chicago, Detroit, and New York. But no new information as to the identity of the killers. I went back to the house. Johnny. Here, here, here. What is this? You're shaking. Hold me, please. Sure. I suppose I'm being a terrible fool about it all, Johnny, but they've been after me all day. Cheap little things. Newspaper syndicate wants me to write my exclusive story as the shadow daughter of Dan Valentine. Fairy princess of a racketeer. Take it easy. Take it easy. Even Hollywood called a producer. Oh, Johnny, I shouldn't have come here at all. Then what would I have done, Terry? What would I have done? Make yourself a drink, Johnny. I'll go put on a new face. It had become apparent to me in the short time I'd known her that she'd grown to love the memory of her father. Also, that the pressure of all that had happened was beginning to take its toll on her. We were walking down the gravel path away from the house. She was quieted down. I suppose I was thinking how nice it would be to kiss her. I twisted, trying for the gun inside my pocket, but there was nobody to shoot at. The two men who had fired the guns were already out of sight. I was alone with Terry Valentine, who was hanging on the gate... I caught her before she fell. Oh, I mean... I mean, Johnny... She was dead before I could answer. Johnny Dollar. Hey, what are you doing at the Valentine house? Get a car out here quick, Inspector. Terry Valentine's just been shot. Two guys now showed slow up. Slow down, slow down. When did all this happen? A few seconds ago. Ambulance? No good, Debaca. She she died in my arms. Oh. Well, do you think they're still around there? They must be. I'm going looking. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is a police matter. You stay put. I'll have a car there in five minutes and you can... Johnny, I heard that. Your gun. Now, look, you're all wound up. Don't do anything for... Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the New Britain Mutual Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. The following is an accounting of further expenditures during my investigation of the Valentine matter. Dan Valentine, ex-gangster and, of course, your policyholder. But then his wife was killed, too. Then his lawyer. Then his daughter. The girl that I... Thirty seconds after Terry Valentine died in my arms, I was stumbling down the gravel path that led from her house to the road. It had all happened so suddenly I can't say that what I did from there on or what I felt was entirely rational. All I know is I hadn't heard a car leave the area, which meant the two killers were still somewhere nearby. Then in the dim light, I saw the car. A man was climbing into it. Hey! Hey, stop! Stop or I'll shoot! 
Stop! Get out of there. Get out of there and get your hands up. I'm a hit. I'm afraid to move. Come on, get out. Come on. I'm a coming, I'm coming. You too. Come on, come on. It's no use on him, mister. He used up. You've got him real good. <laughs> I need a doctor. Help me get to a doctor. Stop right there. Doctor. Stand still. You pretty tough fella. What's your name? Sister. Sister what? It's good enough for you. I need a doctor. Bad. <coughs> Listen. <coughs> tell it to me. Tell it to me right now. If you don't tell it to me now, you'll never tell it to anybody. Tell it. No. Tell it. I need a doctor. Tell it. I die first. Johnny. Johnny. What is this? Who's he? He's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. Now you better give me that gun, Johnny. The state will take care of him. Thanks. I should have done it. I wanted to do it. I know, son. Come on, let's get out of here. But I didn't get out of there. I waited around while they dug the body of the other man out of the smashed-up car, and while they carried the still limp form of Teresa Valentine away. She was the third member of the family who had died violently within three days. Sorry about it, Donna. Inspector, I was hoping I might have been wrong. That she wasn't dead. Oh, you weren't wrong. Which one shot her? Huh? The dead one? Or the one we still got in the hospital? Oh, I don't know. Both of them, I guess. You don't feel like talking to it. I'm just trying to pin it down. Well, what about him? Can't get much out of him so far. He's in pretty bad shape. Let me ask him some questions, Inspector. I'm no police officer. I don't have to obey any rules. Now take it easy, kid. You were about to do that once, and we'd be holding you for murder if you'd have gone ahead. But... I know how you feel about Teresa Valentine. Has he said anything at all? Nothing. We found papers on him and the other one that makes him brothers, Sisto and Darby Chianti, in New York. So far, there doesn't seem to be any connection with the Valentines. Uh, but people like Valentine make a lot of enemies. That girl doesn't figure. Yeah. I know you talked to her a lot these last couple of days, Johnny. What'd you say? Oh, nothing that had anything to do with this. You know yourself, she didn't even know her name was Valentine until her father got shot at. Yeah, that could have been an act. And you could have been 20 feet tall. Just trying. Try with that punk you got upstairs in the hospital. We will, Johnny. We will. Just... Pardon Johnny, mm. you bad news. Maybe I spoke too soon. Why? Sister Chianti died five minutes ago. Expense account, item 10, 10 bucks, car rental. I went out to the Valentine house once more. Oh, Mr. Dollar. Hello, Mrs. Iacchino. Please, come in. So many policemen, so many reporters... I've been trying to close the house. Sure. I know how you must feel. I mean, about her. What of these uh, Chianti brothers? Well, we don't know much about them yet. The New York police are still doing a rundown on them. 
Uh, don't let me stop you, whatever you're doing. I'll just look around if you don't mind. All right. Oh, well, one thing. Yes? Did Mr. Valentine make any provision for you? Yeah. He thought to me. A thousand dollars. <laughs> whatever he was, the man I knew was kind and good. And his sins had been forgiven him. I spent two hours or better going from room to room, looking at the oils that Dan Valentine had painted. Pastoral scenes, happy scenes, gay scenes, all of them with colorful Italian backgrounds. I was thinking about that when I walked into Inspector DeBacca's office late that afternoon. I don't get it, Johnny. Don't get what? Here. This came from New York on the chanty boards. Oh, they came to this country when they were 18 and 21. Both of them were naturalized citizens, lived with their father. Records? Not a thing, no trouble ever. What else? That's about it. New York police can't seem to locate their old man. Disappeared about a week ago, lived on the east side. What's about him? That's another funny thing. He's taken out his papers and was due for an examination with the immigration people this week. They're looking for him, too. We went out and had dinner together and talked about the case. It had been a strange one. The deaths were useless, the motives unknown. I parted company with Inspector DeBaca and went back to my hotel to trouble it out with sleep. About 11 o'clock, I had a phone call. Johnny Dollar. This is DeBaca. Old man Chianti just showed up at our city morgue and wants to take his two sons back to New York for burial. 20 minutes later, I was standing in the coroner's office while Inspector DeBaca led a small, wizened old man into the room and sat him down on one of the chairs. Mr. Chanty, this is Mr. Dollar. How do you do? Mr. Chanty. I read about you. You killed my boys. Is it so? Yes. They'd killed four other people. I know, I know. But... Why did they kill the Valentine family, Mr. Chanty? Why did they kill Conrad Webster, the lawyer? Do you know why? See, I know. Then tell me. They're all dead now. I'm... I'm still alive, Mr. Dollar. He refused to talk about his sons or any of their activities. DeBaca held him to answer to the immigration officials... He remained in his cell, silent and noncommittal to all visitors, including the chaplain. I appeared before the coroner's jury the following morning and was cleared of any charges. Pietro Chianti still had said nothing. And he looked at me as though he was going to keep on saying nothing. Uh, Mr. Chianti? I see you, Mr. Dollar. More questions? Dan Valentine's wife was your daughter, wasn't she? Wasn't she? All right, you don't have to admit it. I have a copy of the marriage license right here. It came from New York this morning. She was my daughter. Is that all you have to say now? I no talk. Then I will, Mr. Chunty. Because your daughter, Mrs. Valentine, had a daughter herself, Teresa. A lovely, wonderful girl that your two sons killed. I happen to know that girl. I might have been in love with her, I don't know. But I do know... She had to die, too. What? This uh, Conrad Webster, Mr. Valentine, and my own daughter and granddaughter, they had to die. All bad. You 
See. I order it. You ordered it. And who are you? God? I am the father. When a daughter marries a bad man, only bad can come from it. The granddaughter was then bad. He come to our village many years ago. Take her away. He and the man Webster help him. It, it lived with me. The stealing of my own flesh and blood. All this time it grow inside of me. I am old, but I keep on living. Only so I can come here and find him and destroy him. And her and the daughter and the lawyer man who help him. And I destroyed them through my sons. A whole family. Vendetta. Was that it? If you like, Vendetta, he was a bad man who did bad things. Bad man. I, I smoke now. You have a cigar, eh? The disposition of old Pietro Chianti is up to the immigration department. I didn't stay around New Orleans to learn the results of all the extensive examinations that would have to be completed to test his sanity. I'd had enough of the town. Expense account, item 11, $140.20, hotel and board. Item 12, $28, car rental miscellaneous. That includes flowers to the Valentine family. Item 13, same as item 1, $175. Transportation back home. Expense account total, $1,290.38. Remarks? Whenever I close my eyes, I can see a lovely girl standing at the bottom of a long, curving stairway. Smiling. Because I'm in the room. That's all. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Remember, please, there'll be another exciting story for you beginning next Monday night. Monday, the Lorco Diamond Matter, in which a trip to Algiers makes Come With Me to the Casbah sound like an invitation to a Sunday school picnic. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood. Written by John Dawson, it is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Heard in this week's cast were Lillian Bayef, Betty Lou Gerson, Barney Phillips, Will Wright, Forrest Lewis, Marvin Miller, Jane Avello, and Jack Boyles. Be sure to join us on Monday night, same time and station, for another exciting story of Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. This story was unrelenting from the end of episode three on. There are so many moments that hit like a punch in the gut. And Bob Bailey, if you wondered why I said to the listener who was not sure about Bob Bailey after the first two serials, that it just needed to stick around for the Valentine matter. Now you know. This was such a strong performance of really good material. I mean, we get to hear Johnny Dollar really push to the brink in this episode, and Bailey makes it very believable. And I think that he was good throughout the entire serial, but he really hit another level in that final episode. The story is an interesting exploration of hate. Even hate that which you might say has some justification, or at least some basis. The idea of a racketeer worming his way into your home and taking away your daughter to get all caught up in this world of crime, I I think that there are many parents who could relate to the anger you would feel of that. But when you let that fester, when it becomes bitter, when it becomes this sort of self-righteous hate with no perspective, no mercy, no grace, and no consideration of the possibility of redemption, of people growing and changing It is poisonous. And even though this is a nearly 70-year-old audio drama, I think that idea still has some relevance today. Now, it's worth noting that this is a story that actually had quite a bit of history to it. It was actually the first... Glimmer you had in the story was in E. Jack Newman's Jeff Regan story, The Man in the Church, from 1949, and then this got expanded into a Nightbeat story, Big John McMasters, in 1951, and then that was adapted into the San Antonio Matter in 1953. Now, I have thought about doing sort of twice-told tale specials with the Johnny Dollar serials, and with some, that would be pretty easy. You know, you do the Walter Patterson matter, and then the Chesapeake fraud matter, and you've captured it entirely. But some of these combine elements of three or four other stories. So that's a little tricky. You know, I think that if you did it all as a long special, you'd be looking at two and a half, three hours. So do let me know if that's something that you would like to hear, and I will give that further consideration. And now, it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And thank you to Doc, Patreon supporter since February of 2016, currently supporting the program at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Doc. 
And that will do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to follow it using your favorite podcast software. If you are enjoying this podcast, please rate and review wherever you download it from. We'll be back on Tuesday with another episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. But coming up tomorrow, listen for Tales of the Texas Rangers where... I sure hope the fire department's there. We'll know as soon as we get around this bend... Oh, Ed! Yeah, Sheriff was right. She sure got a good start. The fireman can hardly get near it. Steady burning, Martha. It's Sheriff Fuller. Got his hands full, keeping folks back. I'm glad you got here, Ed. I'm afraid she's pretty much on the way. She's bound to go up like tinder, Sheriff. She's piled high with feed, grain, and cotton. Yeah. Oh, I sure wish I could get in there for just about two minutes, so. Don't you dare try to get near there. I said I wish, Martha. All my ledgers in there. I don't know how I'll ever get straight on paperwork. Firemen are having a terrible time getting close. You can feel that heat all the way over here. Thank the Lord it didn't happen when someone was in there. That's your office right where that window is, isn't it, Ed? Yeah, it might just... Well, Martha, don't know what is it. The window. I saw a face, a man's face. Now, calm down, Martha. The way flames jump around, you just imagined it. Yeah, there's nothing there now, Miss Woodley. I tell you, I saw a face at that window. Then it, it seemed to fall back inside. Martha, please. Could anyone have gotten in there tonight, Ed? Of course not. There is no... Look, look, now. What? Sheriff, yeah, she's right. Yeah. There is someone in there. I, I know. I, I saw him just oh. before he fell back. Oh. We've got to try to get him, Sheriff. How, Ed? You're oh. gross before you got anywhere near. Oh. We can't just stand oh, here. there must be something we can do. Just one thing, ma'am. Pray for him. It's too late for anything else. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.